This episode is brought to you by Yolele, the revolutionary African foods company. Learn more at yolele.com. This week's episode of Meat in 3 is inspired by the reemergence of Cicada Brood 10. We're talking all about insects. Some people are calling crickets the gateway bug because that's a great introduction to what edible insects is all about. So we found detectable levels of cesium-137 in 68 of 122 total honey samples that we had. Ah, what is that? Is it tarantula? No, what is it? It's a tarantula. Oh, and they're going to eat it? No, 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 no. Listen to Meat and 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never-ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series, where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Welcome to Pizza Talk. I'm Peter Reinhardt, and today I'm here with Ed Levine, the founder and creator of Serious Eats. Many of you know him through that. I know him first through this pizza, <laughs> A Slice of Heaven, a book that came out around the same time as my book. It's true. And so we were kind of on this journey together. And Ed, I remember you then after the book came out, you called me and told me about this website you were thinking about starting called Turned Out Being Serious Eats. And a whole lot has happened in the last 15 years since... It's true, it's true. But yeah, you did. You contributed to um, to Slice of Heaven. And, and back then, Peter, we were just two pizza obsessives, sort of early <laughs> on in the pizza obsessive game. That's right, yeah, we were ahead of the curve. We were, yeah. everybody was always obsessed. We were the first ones talking about it. <laughs> exactly, we weren't, we weren't embarrassed to talk about that's it. it that's it i know and you know it's funny i the, the the short piece i contributed to your book was was a sort of like what happens when you move to a new city and you have to like set up your support yeah. network you need a doctor and a dentist and you need a pizzeria and you need a yes. Chinese restaurant and so uh i wrote about finding finally after a little search finding a local place that i love yes, i remember and, i remember they have that they have that up on their wall now at that pizzeria <laughs> uh and uh, every time i go in there they always remind me thank you thank you for that that's awesome yeah, yeah. you know it's funny yeah uh i love that book i and and i love the way it came together which was I wrote about half of it, and then about half of it, I invited people like you and Nora Ephron and Cal Petrillon, like anybody I knew uh, that might want to write something about pizza. And so it was sort of a pizza anthology, and it, was, it, yeah. and, and it worked well, and it, it delved into history. And, you know, I did do a lot of seminal research, I suppose you could call it, um, you know, uh, I delved into Trenton. I, 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 if you remember, I came up with the term pizza belt for all the cities along um, the uh, ocean in the Northeast where yeah. all the Southern Italians had come to settle right. and work in the factories. And the pizza belt, I think, went from uh, D.C., or I think it was Jersey all the way up to to uh, New England. So yeah, yeah. 
Um, and yeah, and who knew what was going to happen to the world of pizza in the interim? I know, like we were kind of creating the new vocabulary for pizza back then. In terms like, I mean, everyone knew about Neapolitan, but nobody knew exactly what it meant. Then there was Neo-Neapolitan, and then there was, you know, then there was the Greek style, and there was this, and and we had to kind of come up with the terminology that other people then built on. Who yeah, knew that? Yeah, and it was fun. And, and, and then it inspired a whole bunch of, people like Scott Wiener and which, which I love, you know, um, I love the fact that, you know, um, we're sort of paying it forward in the world of pizza, you know, and, and and we have brought many talented people uh, to the public's attention, which I think is one of the, one of my favorite things to do. You know, and and uh, in writing that book, I discovered Chris Bianco and I discovered Anthony Mangieri and, you know, I'm sure other people had written about them, but it was really fun. And then, of course, I don't even know if you knew this, the first managing editor of Serious Eats was Adam Kuban. Exactly. Who started, uh, I would say the first and probably the best pizza blog called Slice. Yeah. In and fact, that was I, the reason why I, I didn't contribute to Serious Eats. I saw, when I saw what Adam was doing, I said, I can't keep up with this guy. Right, you know? right. And Adam, I met Adam right after the book came out. So it was like 2004, 2005, maybe. He was giving a tour to some of the uh, Slice contributors, hmm. and he was into Tonos, and they, when I walked in to just get a pizza, uh, they they actually treated me like a celebrity. <laughs> you know, it's like it was like the first time in my life that someone said, "There's Ed Levine." <laughs> it was really funny, See, and then the it power just, of having a book, <laughs> right? And so then. Uh, he ended up, as I say, being the first, my first hire at Serious Seats. So, and, um, I bought, and I bought his blog. And now, of course, he's now becoming a major force in the uh, bar pizza movement. He's going yes. to talk about vocabulary. So, so he's bringing that concept. Yes, and, that, and, and, and I, don't, I don't know how often he's doing, well, probably during the pandemic, he's not doing it. But Margo's, which is his bar pizza pop-up, which he was yeah. doing at Emily for a while in Brooklyn. Right. Um, yeah, he it's great. And he has a day job. Like, I think he runs the website for NYC and company, like the sort of Chamber of Commerce, you know, uh, arm of the right. New York City government. And, uh, and he has a, a beautiful daughter. And uh, so... Uh, yeah, you know, that Adam, uh, Adam became a first rate pizza maker. Yeah. I think he's, uh, you know what, how he did it though, Peter, is he worked weekends for Paul A.G. Like a lot of people, that was like a yeah. launch pad for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. So this is after he'd left Serious Eats and he took this job, I think, 
he stayed a long time. A lot of people stayed a long time. I tried to make it a fun place to well, work. Well, I, I'm I, curious about all that because the, you were early in the game before there were all these blogs and, and you know, the, the social media thing had exploded. You were doing serious eats. And, and when you first told me about it, I wasn't sure if it was going to get any traction or not because we didn't have any models. Um, you did I. <laughs> so can you help with, and, and of course you had a whole life before all of this, uh, if, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, you were an attorney, you did all sorts of no, things. No, no, I wasn't, I was actually in the music business, I was never an attorney, and then I was in advertising briefly. Oh, okay, for some yeah. that's you know, okay, yes, I, I had a, I just assumed I, that I, everybody I, in the pizza world started out as a doctor or a lawyer. A lawyer. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah, so, you know, I was by most people's standards, a successful freelance food writer. Um, I'd written two books about New York City non-restaurant food called New York Eats and New York Eats More, which came out in the 90s. And then um, I wrote the pizza book, and I was a regular contributor to the Times. But as you know, but it it was never the way I made my living, right? I was also a consultant, believe it or not, in the cable television business. Wow. And so if you have a regular source of income, that's the only way you can really be a freelance food writer, right? Just the numbers don't work. Right. You need to have a day job. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, one of the last things I did in the cable television universe was I developed an idea for a cable network called Gusto, which was going to be a non-recipe driven uh, channel, cable channel about the culture of food. Yeah. And so I did it for MTV networks because I'd done a lot of non-food consulting for them. Right. And they looked like they were going to do it and Comcast was going to finance it. I was already counting the money and yeah. I had a whole programming grid. And then in 2005, I got a call from, uh, a guy I knew well who brought me into the project who said, yeah, Comcast just pulled out. They don't want to do this and we're not going to do it on our own. And I was like, you know, yeah. I needed the license plate of the truck that hit me. Yeah. But what, what happened was in doing the research for that channel, I, uh, I became aware of the blogosphere and digital media And what I figured out is you could move the decimal point over a whole bunch of places and launch a media vehicle Uh Uh, because, you know, to launch a cable network at the time, and now no one would launch a cable network, but it it costs hundreds of millions of dollars before you get to break even because you had to get distribution and you had to develop programming grid. And so once I realized and I picked myself up off the floor after yeah. this channel was called Gusto. I was like, okay, well, what happens if I do this as a website? You know, and uh, I just, I lucked out. I, I, I found some of the smartest people in what was then called the Web 2.0 world. Uh, Meg Hurahan, who is one of the founders of Blogger, uh-huh. the first blogging software. Right. which was Google's first acquisition. Uh, and um, I remember that, that they, cause, cause a friend of mine had, was the founder of uh, type, uh, type. type other, oh yeah. Yeah. Type pad. Type yeah. pad. 
and they were hoping to be uh, bought up by Google, and they got they got beaten by Blogger, and so right. she sold to somebody else, but not to Google. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and then uh, I was introduced to David Carp, this eighteen-year-old coding whiz, <laughs> who still wasn't shaving yet, yeah. and was a high school dropout, but was just an insanely talented. Uh, coder, and he went on to found. Um, and now I'm blanking the the thing that Yahoo paid two million dollars for, and now I'm blanking on what it's called. I'll remember. It was uh, it was another sort of blogging. Oh, it was called um, Tumblr. Tumblr, right, right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. so he so Serious Eats was we were going to use um, a content management system, a CMS that he was writing. Oh, I lost your sound. So, lost he, your sound. so he was gonna, he, we were gonna license the Tumble, what he call, was calling then Tumble blogging, uh-huh. the content management system. And, you know, okay, we'll license it to you and then we'll, you, nobody else in the food space will have it. And then before I launched, you know, I sort of had a falling out with some of my original partners and Meg Hurahan's kept, we kept waiting for Tumblr to be finished and it, he never finished it. And so finally I had to use off the shelf blogging software and David and I parted ways in a very friendly way. Yeah. And then he went on to sell, uh, to <laughs> form Tumblr, which he sold to Yahoo for $1 billion. Yeah, in other words, he went on to become a billionaire and the rest of us are working hard to make it happen. Exactly. So, but anyway, I was very lucky that way. And and the whole the whole idea behind Serious Ease at the time was just, it was going to be sort of a, a town square for people who were passionate about food. So you might want to talk about a recipe or the best way to make a pan pizza in an oven or what's a smash burger. And, you know, it was sort of going to be what I wrote about before then writ large. And it sort of stayed that way for a few years and it was doing well because we were early and, and I had the help of all these really talented people who really understood the web or the web 2.0 world as it existed then. And then, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, um, uh, and then I met uh, through Adam Kenji Lopez Alt. Right. And so Kenji wrote a couple of pieces for us, uh, not recipes. Right. And but then. I, you know, I realized that we really did need recipes, right? And I am, the next recipe I write will be my first. And so um, I said to Kenji, uh, hey, you want to like look over all the recipes that I'm going to assign people to write and you can be our recipe czar. (laughs) And he was still making $30 $30 a, p- uh, a story, because that's all I could afford. It wasn't right. like I was going to the Hamptons by hey, helicopter every week. You were one of the few people paying anybody anything. Exactly. <laughs> so, 
And so what happened was Kenji became Kenji on Serious Seeds. That's right. And so it became much more of a recipe and technique site. Uh, and you got to go with, you got to give the people what they want. And clearly what they wanted was that kind of deep dive, which we're still known for to this day. Right. And, you know, Kenji just took off. And, you know, now he's obviously one of the biggest stars in the food world. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he had a natural affinity for social media in the early days of social media. We weren't even using Facebook. This was before Twitter, you know, it was before right. Instagram. But he had he had a way to comfortably live his life online, um, and so we were actually late to social media. But Kenji was himself very early, right. and um, he's a master at social media. And I say that as a as a high high compliment because yeah. he's not one of these people who manipulates people. Yeah. Uh, he just grabbed what its potential was and how to use it. Uh, yeah, so that Serious Eats became something I never imagined. And then, of course, you know, the other thing that's weird, Peter, is when I started Serious Eats, Facebook had barely started to sell advertising. So I never thought that Facebook would be a competitor. Right. Like in 2004, when I think I wrote my first blog post, maybe I wrote it in 2005. I think Facebook sold $484,000 worth of advertising. Nothing. And if you ever saw, if you ever saw the movie Social Network, you know, yep. it, that's borne out. That's right. And when I decided to sell Serious Seats in 2014, I put uh, in the deck, or I put in my book, that they had sold $18 billion worth of advertising. Yes. So that just gives you an indication of how much the landscape had changed for um, how do you uh, support a, uh, a website that's built on paying people to write really high-quality content. Uh, and as we know now, it's a struggle. <laughs> it's still a struggle for, for because once people, and this is, this is especially true in food, once people got used to pay, not paying for good content, right? it's really hard to get them to switch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, the whole landscape's so, and it happens so fast. It happens uh, so they, fast. And even have, at one point in the Serious Eats uh, early years, weren't there like regional versions? Yes, we had Serious Eats Chicago. And we yeah, were, and then you had we all the, to, It was the democratization know. of food writing. Everybody could be a food writer. Everybody could have an opinion. And exactly. everybody was like really, really hard on restaurants and chefs and, and uh, right. kind of like trying to earn their bones, you know, by being yeah. a tough guy. I hired a Chicago editor, I think is now a staffer at the Chicago, a food writing staffer at the Chicago Tribune. And I hired a couple of other people. Yeah, we had a Chicago site and that was gonna be our plan was to roll out other cities. But that, as, as we found out, that didn't make sense for anyone. The only one it made sense for was Eater. Because what they did was essentially hire a freelancer 
pay him a thousand dollars a month to rewrite press releases and go to restaurant openings. Wow! And so that was, and it worked for them, right? Um, but was, it didn't work for us, so we had like to abandon of that. Social plan. media influencers, then at that yeah. point, yeah, and yeah. so. Uh, you know, and, and we just became known, we, everyone used to say, well, if, you know, you call the website Serious Eats, but you write a lot about pizza and hamburgers. I'm like, yeah, like, haven't you ever heard of irony? You know, and, (laughs) and really what it came from is when I was writing the pizza book, and some would say, oh, you went to Phoenix. How was the pizza? And I'd say, oh, man, I went to Pizza Bianco. That guy makes a serious slice. So that's yeah. how Serious Eats was named. But we became known for pizza and burgers. And, be, and that happened to be some of Kenji's passions, too. And so that's sort of how it happened. And then it was a wild journey to, to, yeah. to bring it to Safe Harbor. Well, look, look what's happened since then. All the serious chefs are now making burgers and pizza, right? I know. It's weird. You were, so once again, you, you were ahead of, you were kind of the harbinger. And I think if anybody wants to know, you know, what they should be thinking about five or 10 years from now, uh, and what's going to make actually going to be profitable, ask Ed now what he's thinking about. (laughs) uh, And and, and we'll get left behind and and somebody else will make a whole lot of money on it. Right, exactly. Well, well, this leads me to something, and I I want to talk about this in our next segment. You got to wrap this one up. But, um, you know, you have one of your your most recent books is Serious Eater, right? Mm -hmm. A food lover's perilous quest for pizza and redemption. So when we come back, I'd like to hear more about that. We want to see about Yeah, for sure. Want to talk about where everything's going, and I want to hear about this. I know you're out, you're coming to us today from Martha's Vineyard. You're out on the yeah. island, and I want to hear about this great pizza place that you found oh, on the cool. island. Yeah, I can't wait to tell you about it. All right, so join us uh, in part two with Ed Levine, founder of Serious Eats Pizza, a slice of heaven, and now Serious Eater. Uh, again, a food lover's perilous quest for pizza and redemption. We'll be right back on Pizza Talk. See you soon. Stick around for more Pizza Quest after a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Yolele, a revolutionary African foods company based in Brooklyn, New York. Yolele was founded by Senegalese chef, activist, and cookbook author Pierre Thiam. Yolele creates income opportunities for smallholder farming communities, supports their sustainable farming practices, and shares Africa's ingredients and cuisines with the world, starting with Fonio. Fonio is a delicious, nutrient-dense, gluten-free ancient West African grain. Fonio is also drought-resistant, so it's good for the planet. Yolele is creating a market for Fonio and other African crops grown under resilient farming systems to foster a more biodiverse, drought-tolerant landscape across West Africa. Try Yolele's Fonio, quick-cooking Fonio pilafs, and new Fonio chips, boldly flavored with the ingredients and flavors of West Africa. Sign up for their newsletter for recipes, notes from the field, and culinary discourse, and get a free bag of Fonio with your next order of $32 or more. Learn more at yolele.com. That's Y-O-L-E-L-E dot com. 
Welcome back to Pizza Talk. I'm with Ed Levine in part one. We had a nice conversation sort of about a recap of, of how Serious Eats came into being and some anecdotes of that time. Some of the uh, great writers who were launched by Serious Eats and and uh, and of course your your seminal book on pizza, Pizza, A Slice of Heaven, uh, which came out, it's hard to believe, 15, 16 years ago. Oh, it's crazy. Um, no, and, and in fact, Serious Eats launched about then. And now all of a sudden it's like, we were just talking about how that's kind of like the Gutenberg area. Yeah, it's, yeah. So much has happened in 15 years. Yeah, that- it's true. It's true. When I when I wrote the book that we talked about in the last episode, Serious Eater, which was sort of about my quest to just keep Serious Eats alive, you yeah. know, really that I had no idea. As a first-time entrepreneur, you live off willful naivete. You know, it's the only thing, you That's know, right. it's, it, a, 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 and some combination of unbridled optimism and craziness. Yeah, because know? if people try to tell you the reality, you, then you wouldn't do it. So you just got have to, like, do it blindly. You're 100% right. I have a friend who's a film director, really successful film director. And I said, Joel, like, why didn't you tell me how hard this was going to be? Yeah. And he said the same thing you just said. He said because you would have never done it. That's right. And you seemed quite determined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So better to, to, to try, and, and every once in a while, somebody's going to succeed, and somehow you pulled it out. So Serious Eater, your new book, is really about that journey, about how you made it happen, made it, and kept it alive. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I didn't write it to be a cautionary tale, you know, because it did have a happy ending. I did land, uh, I did... Uh, uh, guide the ship to a safe harbor. Yeah, yeah you had but, an exit strategy. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was so hard. And what I didn't realize is when you do something like that and you go all in, you you don't have no idea what you're risking. You know, like what pressure I was putting on my marriage. You know, yeah. uh I have the greatest wife in the world, a really successful literary agent. And, you know, when you have to keep going to her to borrow money, because the only way a small business can borrow money is to personally guarantee it. Yeah. So then I'd say, oh, they don't want our apartment. And like, I had no idea if they want our apartment or not. You know, it's like, and so you just, you go with blinders on because I, I, at a certain point, there was no difference between the business and me. You know, like I was Serious Eats and Serious Eats was me. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, I mean, it's, this, the book is a real roller coaster ride. Um, and uh, I learned a lot um, about a lot of things. And, I I hope it doesn't discourage people from following their passions, but they just have to realize that you can follow your passions, but it does come at a cost. What are some of the things that you actually did learn in your journey? It's things that you could pass up uh, without, you know, people should get the book and read the whole story, but a couple little things that you could share yours. You know, for one, you know, I believe that I was always, people say, oh, it's a great time to be raising money. 
So I would raise money from friend, it was friends and literally friends and family financing. And every time I tried to go, and then after a while, the friends and family would say, "You should get some institutional money." And then yeah. I'd try to get institutional money, and they'd be like, "This is way too speculative for us." Wow. Yeah. And the only way you could get even friends and family money is you ba- you have to write a business plan, which we all know is mostly a work of fiction, uh-huh, right? right. Um, and so I remember, and I talk about this in the book, it's like, oh, in year three, we were going to be up to $10 million in, in advertising sales. And, and it'd be like, what? What was I thinking? Yeah, like how do, you, how do you convert a dream into beans? <laughs> exactly. And, and there's so many things like that. So one of the lessons is... Don't start your business with, you have to have as much capital as you do passion, Mm. you know, uh, because people would say, oh, you're supposed to have three months run rate in the bank. And I think at the most, I had one month, Uh you know, and most of the time I had two weeks, you know, and more than once, Peter, I had no weeks, you know, when I had to forego taking a salary because I didn't want to furlough anybody else's salary because I knew they would never come back. You know, it's like they'd start looking for work as you or I would do if that happened to you. Uh, And so, um, but my wife stood by me through thick and thin. So there's, there's another lesson, have a fantastic partner. Yeah. Life partner, you know, because uh, I just had no idea. And she obviously she didn't either, although she's built a very successful literary agency, but she never took other people's money. Mm-hmm. Once you take other people's money, even if they're friends, yeah, everything changes. Yeah. Everything changes. So, you know, I mean, look, and people now can start businesses be, if they understand social media they can start businesses with not a lot of money, you know, uh, but it's obviously becoming very crowded. And, you know, we can argue whether those businesses that are created by influencers are anything we would regard as worthy of, of examination, but that's the reality, you know, and look, there are so many, you know, TikTok is creating millionaires, you know, and 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 all these places are creating millionaires and we can scoff at them, but it's very real. Well, as somebody who has a good track record for seeing kind of like what's ahead, what's what's possible out there, risk or no risk, uh, what are some of the things that that you see like like everything's happening so fast now. So like we said, 15 years ago, something that was cutting edge was already a dinosaur. So what are the next cutting edge things yeah, that so people here, might want to stay alert yeah. to? The, so in the pizza world, and you've probably seen this, you know, in Charlotte, people do pop-ups and start businesses like, the business that I started to tell you about on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, which we want to talk about. And with with virtually no startup capital, you know, a few thousand dollars of of 
personal savings or a loan from your parents or a sibling or whatever. So this woman, Nina Levin, was a really good cook. Uh, she grew up on the vineyard. She ended up working at serious restaurants in Portland, Maine, uh, and then Charleston. Charleston, right. Frank Roberts knew her in Charleston. Right. That's right. And so, and she just decided she wanted to come back to the vineyard and she was going to build a pizza oven, a beautiful wood burning pizza oven. Had she ever, I don't think she'd ever even worked a pizza station before. Uh Not clear to me. Had she worked a pizza station, she may not have gone forward with this. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, I guess through watching YouTube videos, I mean, she well, I mean, she built this gorgeous oven. And I was up here in when the farmer's market started and I see this beautiful oven and I, and then I order, you know, she was selling a breakfast pizza and a margarita. So I ordered one of everything the way I always do. And (laughs) because you are after all a serious eater. Right. (laughs) And, and I was like, damn, this is really good pizza. Like really good pizza. You know, uh, as you know, I I ate a thousand slices of pizza in the year that I wrote uh, Slice of Heaven. And so I literally went up to them and I said, you know, we need to figure out a way to sustain your business up here. We need your pizza up here because I'm going to be up here for a while. So I need you to last. Stay in business. So literally, I'm not kidding. I said, let's get together. I've got some ideas for you. So we, I go to this house in one of the towns on Martha's Vineyard, Vineyard Haven. She and her partner were uh, 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 had baked some bread that morning. The bread was world class. And we sat down at a picnic table, properly socially distanced. Yeah. And... You know, she just said, okay, well, you know, we're, we're, we're going to do this. We, we're doing the two farmer's markets. We can make 60 pizzas. Our, we don't have any place to proof our dough. We don't have a walk-in. Right. So we're totally making this up. But she was dead serious. And I could tell, not just from the pizza, even the bread they served yeah. was world-class bread. I was like... These people are really good cooks. As you know, yeah, that's what's yeah, happened. That's what's happened, Peter, in the, the time you, since you started, and you started, it's like, there are serious chefs who are now devoting themselves to pizza. And you ask me what's coming next. A pizza truck is a way to start a business, you know, um, where you can at least make, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to make enough money to retire. Yes. But, but she's, so she makes six and she sells 60 pizzas for somewhere between 15 and $20. And she's got two or three people working for her, but just on the market days, she makes her dough and, and 
they're figuring out. She does a bunch of parties for 10 people because that's the, that's the biggest gathering you can have up here during the pandemic. And I have some ideas for places she can set up the truck, uh, you know, the, the, the mobile oven uh, after Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think so that's what's happening. And, 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 and that's I'm amazing sure. because she was in the right place at the right time to meet somebody yes. like you who had all this perspective who could help kind of help her get to the next one. Yeah, and I, by the way, I, I, I don't think I'm, I've had to offer that much help. I've offered her a little bit, a little bit of advice, which she seems to be happy to take. Um, but she has good instincts and she makes great, great pizza. And, and our mutual or about to be mutual friend, Glenn Roberts from, from uh, Anson Mills knew about her. Yeah. Because Glenn's wife, and I guess Glenn, to the extent that he has any full-time domicile, it's in Chilmark. Oh, yeah. They have a house somewhere else. It's on the island, yeah. Yeah. So his wife, Kay Rentschler, who used to write, who used to be the test kitchen director, right? At Cooks Illustrated and wrote right. recipes for the Times as a freelancer. So she's up here year-round, and um, he knew about Nina. And uh, so I think. The thing to do is to really, instead of, you know, everybody in think, Silicon Valley thinks big. They think about how do I scale? How do I make a billion dollars? You know, like I'm reading the Elizabeth Theranos book, Bad Blood. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. She started that business as an undergraduate at Stanford. And the, the savviest, the savviest venture capitalists in Palo Alto on Sand Hill Road, which is where they're all located, invested hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was a total scam. As, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so Nina is sort of taking the opposite approach, right? She's like, how do I put one foot in front of the other? Like, I'm, I'm going to build this oven. Uh, I know it's going to cost me a lot of time, but I don't have the money to have someone come and build it for me. So she built the oven and she just practiced. I'm sure she made a lot of bad pizza in the beginning for herself and her friends. Like anybody, it's like the first pancake. Uh, if if there really is such a thing as a bad pizza, I always feel like there's there's good and there's very good. That's true, because even bad pizza is melted cheese on, on bread. That's right. Uh, so I think there is there is a lesson to be learned there. Yeah. You know, well, it's that, funny, because it is kind of a step back. The, the, the way we things used to happen, where you start yes. small, and you bootstrap your way up, and then if you're lucky, it grows. Exactly. It's like, it's like in the music business, which I was in, you know, the star-making machinery took over. Right. But before there was star making machinery, making everybody a rock and roll star or have fantasies about being right. there were there were musicians who were community based. That's right. Yeah. Right. Who, um, you know, my friend at, at college ended up getting a grant to study Cajun music in southwestern Louisiana. Huh? And he started uh, and when he turned me on to the Balfour Brothers, this famous Cajun band, uh, they all have day jobs. And then on weekends, they'd play uh, at dance halls in Cajun country. And 
And they didn't regard themselves as failures, right? It's like they have a day job and then they get to do what they love. And that's a pretty good life. And I think, you know, I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, one of our our friends and sponsors of Pizza Quest, actually, uh, Fire Within, makes these mobile wood-fired ovens. And during the pandemic, I was talking to Ajit Dharma, the the, uh, owner of the company recently, and he said a lot of people have been coming to them because they're recognizing an opportunity to get in at a very affordable level to get and have their own business, kind of like like what Nina's doing. Uh, But it comes with, it's already set to go. You know, you've got your... Your oven on wheels. All you have to do is hook it up to your 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 car. Yeah, and you would know, yeah, and you would know this. It would seem like you, if you had the time, or someone could do what Stephen Racklin has done for barbecue, you know, or um, uh, Mike Mills's daughter uh, from Seventeenth Street Barbecue. Yeah. They do these, and my friend Brian Polson, who's a great chef in Detroit does these charcuterie workshops. He wrote the charcuterie book and the salumi book right. with Michael Ruhlman. That's He's right. a great cook. You would love yeah. him. And he's a great guy. And he started doing these charcuterie workshops, you know, for 10 people. And as you know, tons of chefs and, and line cooks would want it to take them because they all want to know how to make that stuff without killing people. And now... Now you can't even do a live class like that, but it's all going on to Zoom or onto you know exactly. The internet. And so there's oh, these I, virtual classes now. Yeah, and I, I and so I don't know if there's anyone doing it in pizza, but well, I actually, you know who is our friend Scott Weiner is doing vir- among a number of people, but he's got weekly classes and actually he's selling tickets and people are he limits how many people can uh, subscribe and it's working for him. I love Scott, man, Scott. He always says I was that that my book was his inspiration, but but that's true. Because when I when I saw you before Scott Weiner had the New York Pizza Tour business going, you did a pizza tour at a conference that I went to in New York City that PMQ Magazine hosted a big. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And you took out a group of people on a pizza crawl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we went to John's and we went to uh, I'm not sure. sure. Where else? Probably we Lombardi's when it was still good. And, That's right. And yeah, and, a few, and a, you, you had like a couple places you took us to and gave us all the backstory. Yeah, and Scott is, I, I, I still do these pizza tours. I still do occasional pizza tours for charity. I'm very involved with this charity called the Association of Benefit Children. It's an amazing charity, ABC. And we, and I put on a buffet dinner and we have a bunch of auction items. And one of the auction items is that Scott and I will do a pizza tour together on one of his buses. That's nice. And people pay $15,000 to, to eat six slices of pizza with me and Scott. There you go. Yeah, yeah. well, that's it. Talk about a, you know, a business that, that uh, who would have thought that kind of a college hobby of Scott's to know about pizza would turn into this exactly. very successful and important business. He's now yes, and, a, and, an influencer in the pizza world. Right, and you know what? Scott is a great hustler. Yeah. And I mean that in the best sense of the yeah. word. Yeah, he's an entrepreneur in the true spirit. Yeah. No, and he's also not, he's a. He's just a real human being, you know, and he regards it as nothing short of a miracle 
that he can make his living through his passion. Doing something that he loves. Well, yeah. well those were shouting out charities. And please tell us the name again of the charity that you were. Oh, yeah. For. It's called uh, the Association to Benefit Children. ABC. They have, a, they have a preschool. And, yeah, they have a. Uh, it's A dash B dash C dot org. Uh, they have this amazing preschool. They really rescued thousands of families in New York. Wow. Um, uh, they even had a, they, they did have a culinary portion of their programming called Baked in the Hood. I think that's <laughs> gone by the wayside, but they do so much work on behalf of at-risk families in New York. You see, all right. They, they take a really holistic approach. You know, they, they help them find housing. They really, they, it's this amazing woman, Gretchen Buckenholz, started it. I don't well, know, must be 20 years ago. Thank you for that. And, I'm, and I, I mentioned that because Scott also has been doing charitable work. And he yes. Slice Out Hunger. Slice Out Hunger, which we've been talking about, you know, because every week Scott has his Box of the Week segment on, on Pizza Talk. And, uh, and so two worthy charities to get people who are watching, please check them out, support them in any way you can. Yeah, for sure. And, sure. uh, and before we run out of time, yeah. I, I, there's two things that, first of all, I want to say, right already we started talking about the future and it didn't get futuristic. It got kind of like, let's go retro on this because two takeaways for me is number one, think small, not big, go back to kind of basics on this and think about bootstrapping something uh, the, the old fashioned way, uh, something that could work. And, um, and also, um, well, I, there was a second takeaway, and I've just... Oh, but this, actually, I don't know if I, I, I really uh, elaborate on the second takeaway, which is you have to combine that with a working knowledge of social media. Because, um, and so it's, it is a back-to-the-future thing in one way, but in another way, you know, it, 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 look... Adam was not a great coder the way David Karp was from Tumblr, but he was a good coder, yeah. you know, and, and he coded enough so that he built Slice, yeah. which I bought from him. But, you know, when he puts, and he's very good on social media, when he puts Margot pop-up pizza tickets on sale, they sell out in five minutes. Margo's is, is Adam Kuban's uh, uh, bar pizza, pizza pop-up. Pop that's that's pop another takeaway that I got is that pop-ups are still uh, are, are relevant. It's, uh, they've been yeah. high for a couple of years now, but it's a great way to kind of launch. It's a launching Absolutely. Test. And then whatever happens, happens, uh, whether you end up with a bricks and mortar place or not. And it's not that pop-ups are, are, you know, are instant path to nirvana. Yeah, and success, but they are a really important thing. But the way you make pop-ups successful is by understanding. So Nina and the name of her pizzeria is Stony Hill. Stony I Hill, believe. yeah, on on the on the on uh, Martha's Vineyard, Stony Hill yeah. Pizza. And, 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 and I heard from Nina, by the way, and we're going to try to get her on. We're going to have. Oh, a good. She's, yeah, yeah. she's great. She's great. Very modest. When I told her that, I said, "Oh, you might hear from Peter Reinhardt." She said. I don't know if, you know, like, I, I barely just started making pizza. <laughs> but, you know, as you know, 
you can tell just by talking to people yeah. how good their pizza is going to be. Well, we want to see. I want to see one of her pizzas because she has one. I think that uh, either you or Glenn told me about with corn and oh, uh, corn and shiitakes. Delicious corn and shiitake pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So Nina, we're going to Nina Levin on at some point. Uh, we're going to get her on. Uh, and again, a good example of taking a mobile oven and starting a business. Um, and then I want to, uh, before, we, again, we're just coming to the end sure. of our time. Uh, I want to play a game with you that you do on your podcast. Oh, no. Podcast. And I, and I forgot you told me you do this. Yeah. And I forgot. Yours, your podcast is called Special Sauce, right? Right. Special Sauce. And uh, one of these days, I'm hoping to be a guest on your podcast, and, I'm, and you can throw this back at me. But I love this idea that you do, which is essentially, who would you have, uh, let's say, four people that you would want to have at your last dinner, you know, that you, if you could have, if you could orchestrate the ideal dinner evening, who would you want to have and why? Yeah. You know, it's a tough one. Of course, it's too, li it's too limiting, but you know, yeah, yeah. And, that's what and, makes it fun. And, and no family allowed. So I would say that, um, you know, I wrote about my friend uh, who just died at the age of 92, this great saxophone player named Jimmy Heath. Oh yeah, who was uh, part of the one of the first families of jazz, the Heath brothers. Percy Heath was in the Modern Jazz Quartet, and Jimmy was unbelievably funny and smart and down to earth, and had been through a lot in his life, and ended up a tenure chaired professor at Queens College teaching wow. jazz. Wow! And he just taught me so much about how to live a creative life with dignity. And uh, I so appreciated that, you know, and he gave me saxophone lessons when I didn't even know, when I know how to put together a saxophone. Oh, and he was, he was great company. He was hilarious. And, 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 and with, with a, great mastery of the English language, was a master punster. Wow. And so I would say I would have, um, Jimmy would be one of the people I would have at my last supper. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say Michelle Obama because too many people told me Michelle Obama, so I'm not <laughs> going to say Michelle Obama. She's going to get but, tired of eating. <laughs> yeah, but, but I do, and this is someone I did, I, I never did meet. Um, I mean, you have to have. I mean, after hearing, don't don't you think we have to have John Lewis at the at the at the Last Supper? I mean, he jumps would, to the front of a lot of lists right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the more you learn about the guy, the more you fall in love with him. Yeah, and and so and now I have two more, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna uh, pick two women. Uh, and again, uh, you know, um, someone like Nina Simone would Ooh. be amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. to have. Um, North I Carolina would, girl, by the way. Uh, what? <laughs> She's a North Carolina yeah. girl. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have learned a lot about her. And we, I used to work for a concert production company. We used to do Nina Simone concerts. Wow. And um, she was not a very easy person to deal with. She had a lot of demons. That's what I heard. Yeah. Not, not substance related, but. Yeah. And, and she was very angry. And, and, and I had another guest on Special Sauce 
uh, and uh, Alexander Small, who's a chef in Harlem, and he said one, and he knew Nina. He hung out with Nina. And he said, you know, uh, Nina was first and foremost angry because because that she was a black woman. She would never be recognized for the brilliant classical pianist she was. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Nina Simone was a brilliant classical piano player? No, I did not. I had no idea. So, you know, I think I think I have to have Nina Simone. That would be cool. Uh, and the fourth person, the fourth person, the fourth person, you know, um, because I'm the son of of uh uh of of two communist party uh you know members in the 30s i'm I'm a red diaper baby yeah you know like i think i i don't know i think i think maybe rosa parks you know it's like that and that would be an awesome dinner wouldn't it would be a great dinner holy cow Uh, um so you got John Lewis, Nina Simone, and Rosa Parks, yeah, and Jimmy Heath. So who's going to be the chef for that dinner? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. It might be you, dude. It might be you. <laughs> I don't know because we, we have to have pizza. Yeah, well, that's true. Although I could see some pretty good soul food at that dinner <laughs> for sure, for sure. All kinds of food, man. Uh, well, and it's been great. And and I've I've been working on my list ever since I heard you do that. Uh, you know, that, that play that game on yours. I've been thinking about home guys. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you mine later. And, All right. uh, and cause I, cause it's hard. You start thinking about it. And you I, know. I know some people really get annoyed. They go, why didn't you tell me you were going to ask? Yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's kind of fun. So, but it would be kind of cool if you could do that. Like every night, get four people of that caliber and every night have a salon and have those kind of dinners or, or yeah, lunches yeah. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah it would be kind of cool. So thank you for playing that with me. And and thank, thank you, you for, for all the work me. you've done. You've been, you know, a great ambassador for the for pizza, but also for the food community in general. Serious Eats was a major influential uh, what would you call it? It, it? it was it was innovative at its time. And yeah. It's, and, it's and now it's like so and now we're thought of as the establishment. I know. And look at but all the things that have come as a result of that. Thank you for yeah. that. Um uh, I've got your new book on order, uh, so I'm looking forward to reading your sto- the story. Oh, good. Of yeah, things. I think you'll like it. It's a good yarn. Uh, and, and it's true. Well, that's it. And so, yeah. folks, uh, you check that book out. You can order it, uh, you know, on any from any site or any bookstore. Um, uh, Ed Levine, thank you again for being on Pizza Talk today with us and for all you've done for My the- pleasure. Likewise, and, great and, to talk to you, Peter. For, and for telling me about Nina's place too. Uh, uh, yeah, Stony Hill. Yeah, yeah. So thanks so much. All right, man. Day. And I know you're you're getting battened down for the hurricane coming yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, so, thank you. Appreciate right. it, man. Take care. Right. Thank Bye. you. Bye, bye. And join us on Pizza Talk next time, buddy. <laughs> thank you. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash 
Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.